where are you? You're in the West Coast someplace. Where are you exactly? Yeah, I'm in I'm in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like seven a.m. over here. Yep. I I grew up in Southern California, so and then I I did a student Ooh. I did student teaching in Mount Tahoma, Tacoma in Tacoma, Washington, Mount Tahoma High School. There was a uh, I, I was learning to teach deaf kids, and I I did my student teaching up there. I went to school at Lewis and Clark the last year. Went to the University of California, then went to graduate school at Lewis and Clark in Portland. And they they didn't have enough places for us to do our student teaching, and so they asked for mm -hmm. volunteers that were willing to move up to like Tacoma or something. And I, I volunteered because I don't like a lot of supervision, and I figured if I went up there, they'd maybe visit me once or twice. You know? <laughs> and uh, whereas if, if I was in Portland, they'd be coming once a week to visit me. You know. So uh, uh, fine, they came at the beginning of the semester and the end, and that was it, you know? Okay, fine, I passed. So how many years did you teach? I taught for about seven years, and you see, there weren't any personal computers. That was like from 70, I graduated in 73 with a master's degree. Uh -huh. and, and then there weren't, really, 78 was when the Apple II came out, and I bought one. And 79 is when I quit my day job. And uh, I taught from like 73 to 79 or so. Um, Were you teaching grade school? I was teaching um, at a deaf school in Los Angeles, part of the LA schools where they bust the kids from all over the city. And then, um, and then later I did a, where I was in a regular school, like an elementary school where we had deaf kids as part of the normal elementary school with a, a separate class. And then, um, and then after that, I worked for a deaf agency for about a year. And then I realized after I was playing with Apple II in the evening that I liked that a hell of a lot more. And, and, I, and also it was kind of like the early days of the civil rights movement where, where a lot of kids went south to help out. And then after a while, it wasn't their fight anymore. It was kind of like, we need to do this ourselves. You know, they, they, they had, mm -hmm. I was taking up a job that a deaf person should have had, you know, kind of the way it was. And that's that fine with me. Didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> it's like, I'm not <laughs> I was having more fun making games. I helped them out when I could and, and solved a lot of problems, but it's okay. I, I learned a lot and, and I moved on. And you know, all the years that I had of audiology, as part of the training program, you, you learn how the ear works, even though the deaf kids, that's the one thing they don't have, is, you know, so they, you, you learn all this stuff. And, and it helped me immensely doing sound and games and stuff, because you understand how sound is produced, you know, really well, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I find, I, I find that it's like, uh, when I was in high school, I played a lot in Photoshop, just because and then that turned out to be helpful in games. And then I started like playing around with videos, like specifically recording uh, like playthroughs of games and levels that like my friends have made in games. And so that turned out to be useful for games as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I, I've had to learn, we go in, we use um, on the Mac, we use QuickTime, just the free version, the QuickTime player. Uh, you can tell it, you can plug your, your iPhone in with a cable to the Mac, and then you can tell it to get the audio and the video from the iPhone instead of from the, from the Mac itself, you know? Oh, so, that's really cool. And then you can record, you can record a, an image that way of your game, and Apple lets you put a little 30-second video, and you can edit it with iMovie, which is free, and you can add transitions and effects. I didn't, 
want to be doing that, but it's fun. I mean, <laughs> like, like maybe one, <laughs> one day I put on a different hat and I'm doing marketing and, and make, it a, make a video. But if I hired somebody to do it, they would charge me thousands of dollars and they wouldn't necessarily make the film I wanted. You know, it was, uh, I know what parts of the game, if I only have 30 seconds, I know what I need to show in those 30 seconds, you know, to, to, to put in the app, when the app store gives you a little 30 second preview. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like, okay, I need to make that that way. And then when we do it, oh, then, then I got, everybody was telling me how to make these in four different sizes. And now you make them for the iPhone 10 X because it's got the little notch in it and everything. And you know, you don't need to do that. You can actually stretch them. <laughs> you can use, uh, Movavi is a program on the, um, they have a bunch of editing programs on the back and you can stretch the video to make it look like it's on the iPad or it's on the iPhone. <laughs> you can change the aspect ratio on the fly, you know? And, and so it's, it's like you, when you get a really good movie, it's better to do that and have it the right dimensions, you know, so that when Apple looks at, oh, this is not, if it's one pixel off, you know, if, it, if it's 1079 instead of 1080 by something, they'll, they'll scream at you. So, okay, so you just make sure you fix it in there and, and it's the right size and everything and the right speed and the right, all the other stuff. Cool. So after teaching, uh, how did you get into games? Well, I, I started out doing software on the Apple II. I bought an Apple II as a hobby, and, mm-hmm. then, and I was working on the evenings, and then I realized I liked that more. And then I went around in Los Angeles, where I live, and we had club meetings on Sunday, um, and like Jobs and Wozniak would fly down to show us like the Apple III, for example. Uh, and uh-huh. And I look around. The this room. is like an Apple II club. Yeah, it was like an Apple II club. Uh, uh, uh-huh. La- Los Angeles. I forgot what it was called. And and so they they ended up um, uh, coming down and showing us all this stuff. And, and different people would come in, you know, at meetings. And it was like I looked around the room, and I figured, you know, I know as much about this as any of these guys. And I decided, you know. As I could see that the, they wanted, as I was leaving my job kind of mentally and getting ready, I decided I was going to do this. So then I went around and talked to some of the guys that already had software companies and said, if I wrote this or this or this, how much would you pay me? It was like a 10% royalty or something. It didn't sound very good. Now, it probably was a very generous offer, but it didn't sound very good to me at the time. And I figured out how to create an online system. Where I wouldn't, where I can keep 100%, you know? <laughs> so we had people calling us with modems from all over the world for about seven years. It was called Telephone Softwares Connection. There's a little bit of it on my website, and there's a little bit of it on Pinterest, some of the ads we ran in the old days. And it was like a new kind of business because people hadn't heard of downloading, um, and they didn't know that. So we had to have some free programs they could download to, so they could satisfy themselves before they gave us a credit card number. That, there, yeah. that, that something would actually work. And, and so we were doing um, uh, utility kind of things uh, that would make your Apple. Uh, they, they promised us when we bought an Apple, it would balance our checkbook and it would write letters for us and all, all this other stuff. And there were no apps that did any of those things in those days. Uh, the, nobody had delivered on the promises. You, know, it was like, you could see it was the future, but the checkbook, they didn't even have a floppy disk. Uh, they had a, a tape drive when they first started. And so you, the checkbook program I wrote, uh, it took a couple of minutes to load the checkbook program. Then it took a minute or two to load your data. Then you would post a check to your checkbook, and then you had to save it. 
Okay, so so it's like you know, you know we had floppies. Oh my God! And then we had hard drives. My God, <laughs> like amazing. You know, it was like, but you could see it was the future. You know, you can see it was going to get better. Also, we had three hundred baud modems. Now nobody even understands that. You remember fifty six k modems? Okay, okay. I think so, I remember the noises they made. Okay, yeah. Okay, well the fifty six k. This and they weren't very fast. Okay, and. This, this 300 baud is 0.3k so the, so it was like and then we, and we paid extra for a 1200 baud and then we had a 2400 baud modem you know we said like 2.4k and now we're going <laughs> now we're going at like you know 100 megabit you know video you know like the, to the cable company and i just got um at&t fibered up this area so I've, I've got a thousand megabit now both up and yeah, you got a gigabit <laughs> Yeah. In fact, when they put it in, they said, this won't work over your Wi-Fi that fast. You know, your Wi-Fi won't work. Yeah. And I said, Wi-Fi well, turns into the bottleneck. I said, well, actually, I've got some fast stuff. I've got the, the Mac. I've got their router has a um, 802.11ac uh, instead of N or whatever the one was before it. So it's, it's doing um, – I'm actually getting – on a good day, I get like 800 megabits, you know, over Wi-Fi. You know, so it's like, and then also when things are sharing it in the house, it, it's like it doesn't matter. You know, you got you got all these things sharing it um, because they're you know maybe they're talking over Wi-Fi and then and then the channel can use the thousand megabits. You know, the the router can. You know, so anyway, it, it's all um, things have just gotten so much better. I see these fan clubs online for the Apple oh, on Facebook. I, I think there's an Apple II group and an Apple II GS group. And they were all having. Oh, they're still around. Oh, and they're building. <laughs> they're they're selling each other parts, building stuff. And I go, oh my god! <laughs> I said, you have my. That's business. cool. I wouldn't do that in a million years. You know, after after having worked <laughs> on it, God, I'm so glad I. No don't looking have, back. I, I don't have to deal with that stupid stuff I had to deal with. You know, the, all the problems and, and things. You know, the. Uh, but you know, when we when we made Super Nintendo games, there were thirty two discrete. 32k banks of memory on the cartridge okay so when you mm -hmm. had when you put sound effects in you had to make sure they fit within a bank let's say and you had to manage you, you had to take care of figuring out where the spot was that i got a small sound effect okay let's fill up this this uh section yeah let's, so you, you just like to choose on a one-on-one -on -one basis which memory slots to use and how yeah, and you see, that's what a disk operating system is supposed to do for you. It's fine. Yeah, is to optimize that stuff and, and move it around and put it where it makes sense, you know. But we were doing that by hand, you know. And oh, I was working on a football game uh, for a for a third party developer that was doing it. We were doing it for Konami. It was NFL football for Super Nintendo, and they told me that I had to come up with this uh, technical design. And tell them every bit account for every bit of graphics that was going in the cartridge, and manage to prove there was going to be enough space in the cartridge. Uh, and then they said, and by by the way, we're going to have play-by-play -play speech. And I said, wait, you want me to measure the graphics with an eyedropper, and then you're going to give me turn on a fire hose <laughs> with a speech because you fill up at those 32k banks, you fill those up with like um, two seconds of sound or something if you have somebody talking at it. At a decent sample rate, that wasn't even a decent one, but just enough that you can sounds like a you know like somebody talking. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was like you, you you don't get that much room in those cartridges. You know, 
I think I think the idea, if you remember the early, uh, the original uh, NES, the American version of it, um, the the Nintendo Entertainment System looked like a VCR. You slid the cartridge in the front, and that uh-huh. that, that wasn't a mistake. That was that the game industry was declared dead by the Wall Street Journal, um, and when Atari. Uh, lost a third of its value in one day and brought down Time Warner and everybody with them, you know, that owned them. Um, and then after that, they declared the, the game industry dead. And they said, we've now proven there's not enough people to have a sustainable industry and all this other stuff. Okay, that was in like 1982, December like 8th of 1982 or something. Yeah, Okay. 1982 and, crash. Yeah, okay. Then in 88 or so, they, they're writing a story about, uh, no, I guess it was 86. They were writing a story about, about Nintendo. And somebody, somebody said, you got a Nintendo? You're, you got a Nintendo? And so the, the Wall Street Journal decided to write a story about Nintendo. And, they, and then they realized, and, and because they're like a newspaper record, they, they took themselves seriously in those days, they had, to, <laughs> they had to say, despite an earlier report in this newspaper, the game industry is not dead, <laughs> and it's very much alive. And Nintendo has ninety percent of the market share because everybody else knew it was dead. You know, so those were hard years. I couldn't get jobs. You know, you you like went around to places and they the, the wow. EDD would send you like if you got laid off at one company, they'd send you the the unemployment people in California. They'd send you to a to a career fair, and I get in line. Um, at it, uh, and two, it had a booth. And I get in line at Intuit, and the guy looks at my resume, and he says, games, he says, we do serious stuff. Well, I knew they made Quicken, you know, the checkbook program. And I, yeah. said, I said, well, I've got Quicken at home on my Apple IIGS, and when I hit the space bar to post the check, it takes 10 seconds for the check to post to my checkbook. I said, if that was a game, I'd be dead. You know, the, the, in other words, if it took 10 seconds to fire a bullet, I'd be dead, you know? So, so the guy says, you're just looking for a job so you find another game. And I thought about it for a second, and he got me. I didn't have an answer. I was looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he can give me a job working on quick, and as soon as I found a game, I was going to quit, you know? You know, to, somebody offered me a game job. So I stopped it's looking. right for, through you. Yeah, you saw through me. And so I stopped looking for those other jobs. You know, it was like, okay. I'm going to hold this out. I'm a game developer. I'm not a, you know, I, I can make software and I can make software, you know, for checkbooks or for anything, but I, I'm not going to, that's not what I'm looking for now. You know, I'm going to. Is that, is that when you made Apple II games or was uh, Well, the before? Apple II was before that. They, uh, actually this, so I made Apple II stuff on my own with my own business, sold it online. We tried to raise venture capital, but the, they couldn't see the wisdom of downloading. You know, some of these people are supposed to be really smart and I, I, right. They yeah. weren't the brightest people I've ever met in my life. I've met a lot of brighter people than some of those guys. And then they'd say things like, how come you don't have any competition? You think they'd be happy. You know, it's, it's like, uh, if you're so smart, where's your competition? And one of my friends had started Byte Magazine in the old days. He said that when creative computing came along, it was the best thing for him that he had competition because now they would make a little section at the airport in the magazine stand. You know, if there was one magazine, it would get lost. 
but now you got the two computer magazines next to each other. They got a little space for them, you know. And so if you got just one, yeah, if you got one roaded driver and you don't have some other magazine next to it, it's going to get lost. You don't know where the where the car section is, you know. Nowadays but, in the startup world, like startups often freak out about their competition, and people have to remind them, like, no, you kind of want competition because it like validates your idea and it validates the market. Yeah, exactly. So it, that's what these guys it helps. Are. And then they said I wouldn't be able to do it on the PC. Or well, I did it on the Apple. You know, we were downloading. We were using an error-free transfer. You know, using like the same protocol that Telenet used to send data error-free for you know businesses and stuff. Um, uh, there was an X25 protocol. We were using that kind of system. I wrote a, a, a cyclic redundancy check, and when we sent we sent files to you, we knew they got there accurately and all that kind of stuff. We uh -huh. the save them to files. So I did that for about six or seven years, and then I decided to. I needed to get a job, so I, I applied at Microprose in Baltimore, and I, I bought some out-of-town newspapers in those days. We didn't have the internet, you know, to or wasn't available to us. It was available to only the, you know, the, the universities or something. So I, I, yeah, I don't I, think the media was on the internet yet. Yeah, and I, I ended up getting um, like out-of-town newspapers at the library, and I'd go look through ads, and I saw Microprose was looking for a game programmer. So I applied, and I, they flew me to Las Vegas to, to meet them for for CES and they flew me back to Baltimore for an interview and then they decided they liked me and they hired me and then then I ended up working there for a couple of years with Sid Meier and I learned a lot porting his games to other platforms. So the kind of stuff I had done myself on the Apple II was kind of stuff I thought of. You know, it wasn't large scale yeah. games and you know more casual games, more more like apps, you know. And but you know doing like pirates on the Apple II GS or doing uh uh, silent service on the Apple II GS or things like that. It, it, uh, it taught me, um, it was kind of like being an apprentice to somebody where you get to see how they did something and you have them there, you can ask questions. Um, and I remember a kind of a funny story. I was trying to marry the governor's daughter in Pirates and I kept, and she kept saying no to me. So at lunch, I ran into Sid's in the lunchroom. I said, by the way, what's the secret? I'm trying to marry the governor's daughter. He says, uh, which daughter is it? Is it the pretty one or the ugly one? And I said, well, I haven't seen both of them. And we had like, you know, like uh, four color graphics of those, VGA or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if she's the pretty one or the ugly one. So, so I said, I don't know. He says, well, she's probably the pretty one if she's saying no to you. Go to another island or else go out and get more money and come back and ask her again. And, 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 and that was his view of the world. You know, it wasn't in the manual or anything. You know, like you need, you need to get for the pretty daughter. You got to have more money. You know, I, okay, fine, that makes sense. You know, so, so it, it was kind of funny that, that, that to be able to play the game to get up to the spot where I could make sure mine did the same thing that his did. Um, then I had to learn how to how to do those things. And you know, I tried to explain to him there are a few things that if he had done differently because he was on the Commodore when he was doing stuff natively, um, and. Other people were using cross development. We're on PCs and developing for Commodore or whatever. That was the thing. Microprose started with the worst uh, hardware with Commodore and worked up to the Amiga. And other mm -hmm. places, when I went to Cinema, where they started with the Amiga and worked down, and that made more sense because it looked better on the Amiga. And then you can take the screenshots of the Amiga, and then you can send it out to reviewers, and it looks good. And then you say, oh, by the way, there's also a Commodore version. There's also a PC version, but it's, <laughs> it's CGA or EGA or whatever. You know, it's, not, it's not the same game. You know, so you, you, your pictures may vary. You know, it's set on the box. You know, they put a little sticker which platform it's for. You know, and you, your pictures may vary. You know, you're not 
anything like it. So, so anyway, I learned a lot. So in those days when you were porting, uh, did it feel like you were basically building the game again from scratch, well, but on a different platform? Well, in some ways, Sid had actually written a proprietary stack-based language that we used. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we had BASIC that was built in the platform, and then we had uh, assembly language, which was 6502. Now, the Commodore also had a 6502, so we could share some of that, but then the hardware registers aren't the same. So uh, basically trying to make <laughs> it look as good on the Apple II as it did on the Commodore. And actually, you know what? The Commodore cost less, but it was superior. It was designed to be a game system. Um, it was actually better for games. And the Apple II, you had to fight with it to make it look good. And the Apple II GS, despite it being graphics and sound, only had one screen, and it took five vertical blanks to refresh it. So that's like 12 frames a second if you had to refresh the entire screen every frame. So yeah, Whoa. so it, it is. This is barely the illusion of animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're, it, it's a, I, I used to say if people want 60 frames or 120 frames, you know, when you get, um, when you get 24, your movie speed and nobody complains about movies usually, you know, yeah. but, but uh, you and know, 12 it's, is like, 12 is like the theoretical low, Yeah, really <laughs> like low. you can't go lower than that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know we and we did something. So, so you learn. I, I learned how to write stuff to take his stuff and make it work. You know, I take the 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 code, his code, the the block of of the SID code that he'd written. Is it called SIDTran or whatever? That code would run because we had to write a processor. Now we had one for the Apple II, and for the Apple II GS, that ran um, the two GS had a 65816, which also ran 6502 assembly code. So we could actually run the same thing, but we could also take advantage of the wider registers and stuff and make it run mm -hmm. faster. So that's what I did was I made I made the thing that read the SIN code run better. And then I went in and, and the basic had to be converted. Whatever was a basic, there were slight variations in the basic between platforms and how you cleared the screen. You know, like if you did a home that, that took you to the upper left corner and cleared the whole screen, you know, the, those kind of commands were different. And so you had to make different calls and stuff. But yeah, it, it was kind of like my goal as an engineer uh, was to make it look as good as his did, if I could, you know, and function the same way as best as I could on that platform. And, and so that was the thing. And then when you go to the Apple II GS, we had a mouse. So now you're adding mouse capability to something that didn't have a mouse in it before. So now it's figuring out how to, how to, take advantage of there's a little there's creativity on an engineering side and creativity on a functional thing but the game itself was already designed and, and that's a good thing too because everybody expects that game to be that way you know yeah um, now i ran it when i moved to cinemaware um oh by the way microprose had classes for us in the evening our boss realized that c was the language of the future this is like an 87 or something you know and yeah. he said and he, so he hired somebody from johns hopkins to come and teach us C, a professor to come and teach us C in the evenings. And it was nice, you know, you're up north, kind of like Seattle where you're up north like you guys are and you and you have the nice summer evenings and you can stay out all night. You know? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But instead you're sitting The sun in sets at like seven or eight. Yeah, instead you're, you're in a C class, you know, until till nine or ten, you know, in the evening. Because <laughs> your boss... Yeah, your daytime wasn't worth wasting. We had games to make, you know. Uh, you stag around the evening, we'll teach you C. And so the other people in the building, some of the people in accounting said, we want to learn C too. And the, my boss said, well, we're going to go at the speed the programmers want to go. You guys are welcome to come, but we're not going to slow down for you. So the first evening, 
half of them left at the coffee break. And the next night, none of them came back. You know, it was like they were all, <laughs> we learned C, but then we never used it because Sid never programmed in C on, in those days. And he kept doing it the way he was doing it. So then when you're doing a port, you're not being able to use C. Now I got to, I got to CinemaWare and they're doing everything in C. So they have the Amiga version already done in C and they want me to do Apple through GS. And so I look at their code and I figured out, okay, I could stub out these functions and, and then write new functions to do the things they used to do. And so maybe after about a month or two, I got it to where I can compile it without getting any errors. I didn't have a game or anything running on the screen, but I, I at least it didn't crash, you know? <laughs> now I can start putting graphic functions in and have it start doing stuff. And it was kind of like a barn raising where the whole thing came up at once. And like a day or two later, I got one frame a second. And then I know I can speed it up by writing assembly language wherever I need to to speed it up, you know? So uh, it actually was a, a different nice. way. It was a different way of doing things. Now, did they, so the, the theory was that you got the same game then because you started with the same code. So now the testing guys called me down. I don't know. There's an old game you may not have ever seen. Oh, it was uh, Rocket Ranger. He went around the world. He, he had, it was like the Rocketeer movie, you know, and he had the jetpack on and he was fighting Nazis and stuff. Anyway, so he, uh, there was a thing where he's down at the bottom of the screen shooting up an airplane. Okay. So imagine you've got a pseudo. It's not really 3D. It's kind of a 2D game. But the planes are coming towards kind of up to the, they're coming from the back of the screen, getting higher and flying over the top of you off the top of the screen. So it's like they're, mm -hmm. com like they're coming towards you, but like at a, at a 45 degree angle vertically or something, you know. So they complained that when they were shooting at the planes, it wasn't counting as a hit. But that's because the original game was using 2D collisions instead of 3D collisions. They were looking at where the bullet was and where the plane was. Now, if I fire early, my bullet might be in the same place as the plane, but that plane hasn't gotten close enough to me yet. It's still in the background because it has to, it has to climb higher on the screen to be in the foreground. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to explain over audio, but yeah, I think you got. Yeah, I, I, I get the, I get the sense. Like, yeah, so they told me it was yeah. a bug, and I said, "Here, go get the, go get the Amiga version and put it next to it and do the same thing." I had to prove to them. Okay, the assignment was to make the same game on the other platform. And that's exactly what I did. If I thought you wanted me to do it differently, I would have reprogrammed it from scratch, you know, because I uh, I was relying on the way it's worked. And oh, I lost you. Okay.
Okay, am I still connected? I'm sorry about that. I... What happened? I think my Mac screen went to sleep. I better keep moving the mouse around. To give it some, uh, give it some caffeine or something. Anyway, sorry about that. I was worried that you like ran out of power or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, my screen it was asking me to log back on the screen, so that wasn't a good sign. So I uh, I realized I needed to reconnect really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even have uh, to reboot. If it was a PC, I would have had to reboot. You know. That, the nice. lucky lucky thing about working on Mac stuff is that it's, it's the stuff I have is all solid state, so that you, you can reboot your drive in like five seconds or something. You know? Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, so you're talking about your how you're working on ports and how this one particular uh, project, uh, there was a, basically what I call a design bug, not necessarily a technical bug. Like it was designed that way, but users didn't expect it. And you were running into like uh, pushback against the fact that you replicated that same design, and people were confused about it. Yeah, in other words, it was the QA guys were bugging me, and and they're and they're saying it doesn't work right. You know, look at this, and I said, go get the original and do the same thing because my job was to was to port the game that you guys already liked and published. If you didn't like the way it was, you shouldn't have published it. You know, and I mean, it was different people in the QA. <laughs> you know, so. That was what, if you had a list of extra things, by the way, while you're porting this, do you mind fixing this and this and this? I could have factored that in, you know, but, but if you, yeah. if, if you expect it to work that way, and that's, that's another thing. And by the way, that reminds me of another interesting thing. I had a perfect submission record when I started doing Nintendo stuff uh, on Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Color, uh, Super Nintendo, everything I submitted to Nintendo up to the DS had a perfect submission record and by that i would send version 001 or whatever to nintendo and it would get approved the first time whoa everybody else ones are like i had to help out a public after i quit working at one company was working at another one they remembered that i had a perfect submission record they're having so much trouble they asked they asked the company if they could hire me you know as a contractor to to fix their game that they were having trouble with, you know, with Nintendo. So they, they went to your boss and they're like, can we contract you out really quick? Yeah, they were, they were hiring, they were hiring Park Place for other projects anyway. And they said, we'd like you to assign Ed to, to fixing this for us. You know, we have this other game we're working on ourselves, but we've submitted to Nintendo like 18 times. And can you, can you, uh, maybe Ed could get it through, you know? So, I, I had a perfect submission record on, on all, everything up to the DS. Now the DS came along and then we started doing Wi-Fi for the DS and they had weird rules. And Okay. So the DS had the case that would close and your buttons were inside when you closed it. Okay. Yeah. And, and one of their rules is that when the case is closed, if they press any buttons and anything happens, they reject your game. So, okay. The case is closed and you press the A, B, X or Y or whatever. Uh, your game gets rejected. If anything happens on the screen that shows that it, it's supposed to ignore that when the case is closed. Now, now you ask yourself, how do you, test that? How do you press the buttons when the case is closed? Yeah. So what you do is, <laughs> is you hold a magnet over the X button, and that simulates the case being closed. And that's how they test magnet. it. Magnet. I'll be, X. like, scared of damaging it with a magnet. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. So, that, so they do that. So now... They tell me that they did that with my game and they got something to do. And I said, where was it? And they sent me a screenshot and whatever. And it was in the Wi-Fi that it did that. 
Everywhere else in the game, it worked perfectly. Well, the Wi-Fi was the module they gave us. Nintendo gives you this module and says you can't change it in any way. And all you have is object code. You don't have source code. And so you, mm-hmm. just, you just installed this black box. Now they're testing it in Europe, and they tell me that my game doesn't work right. And, and I said, no, 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 it's the Wi-Fi. I said, you guys wrote that code, not me. I said, you know what? I got I got twenty bucks that says if you go get Mario Kart off the shelf and go test it the same way you just tested my game, it's going to do this exact same thing. You know, because they're using the same module I'm using. You know, everybody's using that module, and and then they finally left me alone on that. And then um, and then there was another thing where they were we hired this testing firm to test it, and and they. They, they would test it would work fine. We test it worked fine. And then we get on with the publisher and it wouldn't work fine. And, and it turned out the publisher had a bad router that wasn't the, wasn't, was blocking ports needed by games and stuff. Mm. <laughs> they probably had their firewalls all up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that game was the one that made me switch to, um, to do an iPhone stuff because it got down to the very end of the thing. And, and, uh, I said to my, to the, there was like a guy in England that was acting like an agent, but he was also, it was like a, it was like he was buying the game from me and then selling it to somebody else. And, and the, um, so in this deal, this three-way deal, um, the publisher kept yelling at us, you know, and then one day I said, you know, I think the game was approved. He said, well, they would have told us if it was approved. I said, well, I'm not so sure they would have. They owe us some money when it's approved, you know, there's the next milestone. Maybe they don't want to pay us right away or whatever. You know, and, and so I, I think it was approved. He said, well, made, what makes you think it was approved? And I said, they stopped yelling at me. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> so I'm used to having a perfect so, submission record on other platforms, you know, and then you come along and now you, you submit the game and then they test it and they yell at you, it didn't work. Okay, then, then you submit it again, you wait a couple of weeks and then they yell at you again. I said, well, I And this was for mobile games, like phone games? <laughs> well, this was like, um, this was on DS, but it was Wi-Fi. Yeah, it was going to use... It wasn't um, okay. So it was still on DS. Yeah, on DS. Yeah, yeah, and that's what made me switch to mobile games because then when I had trouble, I went to Nintendo of America. They were testing it in Europe, and I went to Nintendo of America mm-hmm. and I said, and that's where I had the perfect submission record. Also, but I'd also submitted games directly to Japan and to Europe before. But I, I said, you know, it's like uh, um, you need to call the guy in Germany, your counterpart, and see if my game was approved. He says, well, we don't want to get involved in your developer-publisher relationship. I said, I, I'm one of two people you can talk to. I said, if you look at the form, I said, I'm the one that submitted it, and you can talk to me as the developer, and you can talk to the publisher. It says you can talk to these two people. You know, here's, the, here's their phone numbers, you know? And, and, but I don't want to get involved in your developer-publisher thing. And I, and I said, I'm not asking you to negotiate a contract. I said, I'm just saying, you know, find out if my game was approved or not and, and tell me. And, and I, I said, you know, mm-hmm. he, should, he should change his title from developer relations to publisher relations because he doesn't care about the developer. It's only the publisher they care. They, Nintendo only cares about the publisher because the publisher the used money. The, the, they buy the cartridge. Yeah, exactly. And yep. you, you see, when you, when you do iPhone stuff, you, don't, you may not need a publisher like we don't, you know, the way we do stuff. But other people might if they think the publisher is going to add enough value and consolidate it. If they're going to compete with one of the big games right now, yeah, like yeah. if they want to compete with Clash of Clans or something. Yeah, yeah. If you got somebody who's going to put millions into advertising and other stuff, yeah, that's what they step forward and do. So, so anyway, it's, it's kind of like um, so. So after all of that, and I realized Nintendo didn't lift a finger. Um, then I decided, you know what? I I went to the 
uh, I realized the iPhone, I think it was like around 2008, when you could first program it besides doing a web app. They had web apps before where you could put an icon on your home screen and have a, a, web, a URL. But, but they actually said, now you can program the iPhone. I signed up immediately and I, I signed up as a company instead of as an individual. And it took longer and then they had a, they had a higher, they had this firm that had to screen you and all this other stuff. But, but I got set up with them and then we decided to do Android and, and do uh, uh, Windows came, Microsoft came to us and said, you know, you're doing all these games. You should be putting them on our platform. So, so um, and then Was I that Windows like, phone included? Yeah, the Windows phone. That was when they had the Windows phone and the PC, but not the, um, I think it was just Windows Phone. Then it was Windows Phone and PC. Was yeah, Windows then they, after, after a while with Windows Phone, they came out with their universal Windows platform in order to consolidate everything. Like, and they, so but they, make, they, lied yeah. at, they lied at the beginning, though, when they said that it was Xbox, and it wasn't. And, they, and, and then when it was Xbox, it was like, you're not worthy. You know, you, uh, you got to go through ID at Xbox. <laughs> But lately, you now can submit, as an indie, you can submit directly through the UWP program, through the uh, Game Creator mm-hmm. Series. And, and we've been doing that, and we have four games, and we're going to have a fifth one in another few weeks on the Xbox now. So, um, but, uh, and that's the thing, too, is um, I give a free plug Unity. Having something like Unity, we used to develop natively for iOS. And Apple would come out with a new tool like Swift. And you say, oh, my God, that's such a great language. I want to do everything in Swift. But then it's like just for iPhone. And then maybe there's some tool that's really good on the Android or something on this. But now with Unity, um, we can program it once and then deal with the different platform issues like this one has an accelerometer and this one has a touchscreen and this one you know, has a, has a joystick and whatever and deal with those problems, you know, after you get the game running, like on a, in a simulator on the screen, you know, and then, mm-hmm. and then to adapt it for the different platforms. And like the Xbox one, um, okay, when you send a game, it's the same code for the Xbox as it is for the PC. But if, if you display help on the PC, I want to show you to use A, W, S, D, or use the arrow keys, or plug in your Xbox controller if you want, you know, or use a wireless. Yeah, at that point, it's the platform-specific UI and all that stuff. Yeah, so it's the same code, but but it knows that it has a keyboard or doesn't have a keyboard, or knows you know it knows yeah at that time it knows what it's running on. So we show you help that's relevant to you instead of instead of just help that was relevant to that version you know or something. So, so um, instead of making a game, instead of making a game and then like porting it over like you used to, now you're basically developing them all on the same code base. Yes, and also Unity has their own multiplayer that's multi-platform and that actually is kind of the idea of unity if you're uniting people uh and and you've got an android and i've got an iphone we can play the same game together if we program it on unity um and it's through their server instead of relying on the other guy's server you know uh um, and if we were doing it separately we'd have to do a separate version for this platform a separate version for this and would log on differently to, to get on the thing this way, so we, we do a golf game, and you can have a foursome of people on four different kinds of devices, you know, um, and and be playing together, you know. And uh, so uh, that part of it makes it more fun. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure how many people play, use the Wi-Fi, but it's there if they want it, you know. It's kind of 
Um, and then, it, and then it makes it more viral if they do use it because they tell their friend, yeah, hey, go pick this up and I'll play you, you know, and the, now we're staying down at the, at the $2, $3 kind of threshold and not doing advertising. And I, I don't know. I, I, believe me, I, I, I haven't seen that many people get rich on ads and it's not, it's not the business I wanted to go into anyway, you know, and yeah. I'd, ra I'd rather make a game. And if I can't convince you that game's worth $2 or $3, I should pick something else to do or just retire. I'm 67. I could, I could easily retire. I got plenty of money. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like I, I don't, you know, I've saved up over the years and invested wisely. And so I, I don't, it, it's like, and ads, uh, ads change your game design too. Like you have to build in spots to show the ads and you have to uh, consider like when are good spots in the gameplay to show stuff. And, and you're doing a different thing then. Yeah. Instead of doing what makes, good gameplay you're doing it to be able to sell your ads yeah yeah and and, and to keep it and then a lot of them have this other trick to where you can trade social services instead of dollars so so let uh, let's see um you can trade like um i better keep the screen moving here one second i'll start there we go um uh, uh so you can trade social um things like if you do something in Facebook or you do play so many minutes or you get somebody to play with you, you, you get extra points and extra, you earn extra, extra weapons or whatever, you, you know, you need or extra time to play. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy that, that ruins that, that guy in Japan that spent $70,000 playing some game, you know, or, or, or I don't want to be the guy that ruins that guy's life. You know, he got so addicted to something that he, um, you know, we're making games and we're, we're making them fun and maybe compelling, but you know, there's, it, it's like, yeah. we're not, you don't want to make predatory products. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. And, and we can have fun making the kind of games we want to make. And that, that's the thing too. Um, if, if your students that are listening, if they, um, if they go out there and they can find a job in a game company, great. Cause you should make your mistakes on other people's money. Yeah. Uh, you know, learn to make things and do things when somebody's paying you and if you make a mistake, you know, it's, it's not your problem. You know, when you have your own business, you make a mistake, that's your money, you know? And, and so um, later on, if you decide to, and if you, but if you can't find a job um, and you've got some means of support, you've been living at home anyway with your parents and you're young, um, spend another year living at home and make a game, you know, and get it online and put it in steam or, or do something with it, you know, and, and get it out there. And, and at least it, even if, if not a lot of people buy your game, it's something you can point to and people will hire you because they know you can do that now, you know, where, where everybody else hasn't done that, you know? So uh, yeah. there's, there's like two skills you look for. We used to ask people to see a demo game when you're hiring people in the old days. And it's kind of like it proves two things. One, that you have the capability of making a game. And two, that you have the desire and you're passionate about it, you know? And, and it's kind of like those are the kind of people we want, you know, the, one, the ones that can solve. And a lot of people get all the way into the game and then they get stuck on something and give up. It's kind of like my brother used to run marathons uh, and it's kind of like there's what, 26 miles, but there's also like 385 yards. You know, you got all the way around, the, you ran all through Seattle and there's, there's like, you can take one more lap around the stadium at the end. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, I've done that before. It's the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so you. It really is just like a marathon. Yeah, you, you yeah. got to keep going, and, and you. Uh, the the other trick too, if you're ever working at a company and you got a QA department, is it's like a tennis match at the end. Okay, you do a build, 
and you send it to them, and then overnight they've tested it, and they tell you in the morning when you wake up, everything that's wrong with what you did, you know? So then you fix those things, and you send it back to them. And then they send you another list. And then you do that again, you yeah. do that again. And, but you pick up the speed, and you go, it's like a tennis volley, and you start falling. I've, I've had that back and forth of, with Vive yeah, and yeah. HTC. Eventually, you wear them down, and they, and they can't find <laughs> anything else, you know? And, and what happens is, I had one company, a guy that worked at Mattel, um, they owned the learning company and uh, Broderbund, a bunch of different companies in the old days. And I did a project for them and some guy was leaving and he was saying goodbye to everybody at the company on their on their email server. And he, he says, I want to thank Ed Magnin for, uh, I says, I've never gotten two builds in the same day from a, from an outside developer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I, I sent him three, like, like if I sent him one in the morning, if, if they sent me bugs from overnight testing, and I wake up and start working at eight or something. By nine, I'll send them a build, and maybe at lunchtime, send them another build. In the afternoon, send them another one. Eventually, they decide that they can't find anything more, you know. And and then that we're ready to ship now. You know, that's and, a good reputation. My, yeah, that's also really good advice about like the knowing when you can take certain risks. Like if you're if you're just starting out, the best way to take those early risks is to if you can get paid for it. And if you can't, I know a lot of people who kind of have done what you said, uh, like either spend a, an extra year like living at home or I, uh, especially a lot of people who get into games later in their careers, they will just save up a bunch of money and then s- live off of that money for like a year and basically just make games on the side, build up their skills, build up their portfolio and then go for like a real job with that. Yeah, by, by the way, um, I wrote a, a book on um, indie game development. Um, there's a link on my website, and it's in Spanish and in Japanese also. A friend of mine tr- translates in Spanish. And it's only it's on um, iBooks. It's only like $9.99. And if, somebody, if somebody's got a hardship and they want to write me a note, I, I can send them a code for it or something, too. So uh, I don't think $9.99 will break them. But <laughs> if, they, if it's really that much of a hardship, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll give them a copy. So. Uh, Anyway, it's, a, it's like it's kind of like indie game development and some of the mistakes that other people make, you know. And maybe, maybe you'll make some mistakes, but maybe they'll at least be different mistakes, you know. The the, the thing, one of, my, one of my favorite ones is like you got a, a programmer and an artist and maybe a level designer, and you decide to to make a game. Okay, now it's time to hire the music guy. Well, uh, we're each getting a third. Well, how do we pay the music guy? You know, well, well, maybe we each have to pay a third of it, you know, or whatever, or else we got to come up with another percentage where we don't each get a third, we each get a fourth, or well, music's not worth that much, or, you know, you know, you start figuring <laughs> out all this other stuff, you know, how much time is it going to take, and so you end up having these things where you forgot about stuff, you know, and then you, and then you start using people's copyrights without the permission and using graphics you found on the internet that that didn't say they were free to use, you know, or something. Um, and then you yep. get, and then you get in trouble, and it costs you more to get out of trouble. Um, then uh, <laughs> that sounds like really practical advice, like stuff that I've definitely run into, and I'm like, oh man, that, like it's, if you're just like really hungry for that, uh, I guess early info, like not even early info, just basic info that you find out along the way. It, can, it really does sound like it can save you a lot of time. Yeah, and you know we've been through that. You know. I worked at, and just watching my having companies, when I was at Microprose, we had what was paper copy protection, where you, you had to have the manual to prove that you own the game, okay? And it would ask you to identify the battleship on page 35. 
and you had to you had to type the answer to that in to prove that you had the manual. And now, of course, later on, people <laughs> people people copied the the chart, made up a chart so that you could have the answer. Before the internet, they posted on somebody's BBS or something, and then later on, you know, it's on yeah. some server or some other thing. So the games have all been cracked and put online, and then somebody puts the paper copy protection online too. But you know, so but you know, we used um, there was Jane's Military Guides, which are very famous coffee table size books, these huge books of different, you know, military vehicles and ships and everything. So that we use those for the images of the ships. Okay, only somebody forgot to ask James for permission, you see. And it was the kind of thing that they weren't really, if you had asked them nicely and you gave them an ad in your manual, said, by the way, the the, the ship images on the uh, at the tops of the pages are courtesy of James Military Guides, and you put like an ad in the back of the manual where you could order that, that book if you wanted it, it probably would have been free, you know? Uh, now, now mm. later on, when you did that without permission and they find out about it, they want half of your income. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, that's not, that's not the game. All that is is a picture of the manual. Well, if it's saving you people copying your game, you know, you're using that as the, as, the, as the paper copy protection. How do we know you're not getting twice as many sales because you put our pictures up there? You know, you could have put your own picture up there. You could have had your own artist take a photograph and draw a silhouette of a ship, and, and, and nobody would have owned it. You, you would have owned it yourself because your artist made it, you know. Uh, but mm. the fact that you copied them out of a manual, and they can take and overlay theirs right on top of yours and prove they're the same, yeah, it's like, no, you – and yeah, and they one have time, more leverage. One time we were doing a, a, a Vietnam game, and there was a song, The Ballad of the Green Beret, that goes way back, you know. It was, it was a movie, The Green Berets, and uh, I think it was... Uh, was it public domain by then? <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. And it was like, so I said, they wanted to hire an artist, a musician, to write a song that sounds like The Ballad of the Green Beret. I said, why don't we get the real guy? And, I, and we didn't have the internet, but we had like out-of-town phone books and stuff. I found the guy. And I called him uh -huh. up, and he was like honored that we wanted to use it, and it was like a nominal, like five hundred or five thousand, you know, to a nominal payment just to just to be able to use nice. this song. Yeah, and to use this song, people were flattered. You know, the early the early days of like using um, uh, uh, Larry Bird and stuff. Some of those guys got as little as like maybe twenty five k or something, and they were honored to be included in the game. Now, now they see million dollars. You know, signs if you want to. Yeah, use. and they're like, they want royalties now. <laughs> oh, I tried to use a song myself in a game. I was the, uh, we did a domino game where you, you, you don't have the people watch in Japan the dominoes. They, they set up rows and rows of dominoes and then knock them over, you know, uh, yeah. and watch them, watch them for five minutes. Well, so I thought, well, you could run your finger around on the iPad and set up streams and streams of dominoes, and then you could plink one end of it and let it fall, you know, and, and so, uh, there was a group, a heavy metal group called Rancid, and they got, hey ho, I don't give a damn what the dominoes fall, you know. And it was like, okay, fine. I thought, well, we use that as a song. So we we got a hold of them, uh, of their agent and of their copyright holder, and they want they want so many thousand for this and so many for the performance rights. There's a copyright, a performance right, and they have to be the ones that perform that they're going to give us the the masters, and so now we're paying them. And then they want a fourth of the revenue stream. I go, no, no, no. I, so we did a, a we did a better game by using Mozart, who I don't owe any money to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And it's kind I can of like, imagine how well Mozart can uh, fit with that. And, and what happens is when you're playing the game, the, the, it's now interactive because we're playing notes as the dominoes hit each other. And the faster they hit each other, the faster the song plays. So instead of being, instead of speeding up uh, an MP3, it's speeding up like uh, um, the notes, the, the, the time between the notes. So the notes are playing at the right pitch, but they're playing close as they get, as the dominoes are closer together, they're going to hit each other faster. And the song is going to play faster, you know, uh, but it'll still be the right, it'll be like you played it faster on the piano or something, you know? So uh, anyway, it, it was like, it made us make a better game, you know, because they wanted so much yeah. for, for the music. <laughs> and so, yeah. We usually use, um, we look at the asset store on Unity, and some people make money selling assets to them. You know, uh, you got chairs and walls and textures and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then sometimes you don't find the exact thing you want, but you move it around and you mess with it. Uh, we got some trees for a golf course, and then, but they, they were too high before where the branches were. And I said, well, we can just push the, we can just push the tree down into the ground, you know, so the, the, the trunk isn't as tall, you know. Like the first branch, instead of being uh, maybe six feet up, was about 10 feet up the tree, you know, or, or whatever. It didn't look right. And I said, well, I'll just push it down into the ground, you know, and, uh, and it'll look better. <laughs> and we can stretch it on an axis. We can make it a, a thinner tree or whatever. So and we have a lot of fun with that stuff. I think, you know, one thing, too, is if you have – I've been thinking about this. The people that want to do an indie game, it seems like – if you have a programmer, they can go to an asset store like Unity Asset Store, or they can go to Turbo Squid or other places that sell online art, you know, um, and they can buy like royalty-free objects. You know, they pay a fee to be able to use it in their game or something. Okay, now then you can go and, uh, but if you're an artist, it's harder. If you have an idea for a game, you almost need somebody on your team that can program because it's harder to hire. Yeah. It's harder to hire the programmer to, to implement your idea. It's easier if a programmer's got an idea, he can go find art someplace, you know. But you know, maybe not exactly what he wants. And and, and then some of us get in there and start playing with it. I I, I have fun playing and with with 3D. some people sell scripts on the asset store, but even then, you kind of need to be technical to implement them. Right, and you know, but there are some actually Unity though. Okay, Game Maker was an earlier kind of program, and then uh, there was a 3D something tool maker. There have been a whole bunch of different game engines that were like instruction ones, you know. Um, and then and then Unity came along, and they actually have some demos and some other stuff where you could make a game of wandering around, a, 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 you know, it looks like Zelda or something else when you're playing with it, you know, and you go in there and you can buy assets for it, and you can do... So you, you can't, if you don't know how to program, you could start with something like Unity and attach, like if something hits something, it has a collider and it knows what to do. And you, you put a collider around your object and, and then he can't go through a wall, let's say, and knows where to bump into the wall, you know? And, and if he's hitting the wall too, too far, let, let's say he's holding a gun at his waist level and he gets too close to the wall and his gun comes out the other side, you may need to make the collider go around the gun around the end of the gun too you know and and yeah. so you you go in and adjust that so in unity you could almost do a game without without a lot of programming but then maybe hire somebody that knew knew how to write some scripts for you to go in there and also like you say you can find scripts the trouble with i've seen that before yeah i've seen people who basically don't know programming and they just start kind of 
mix and matching things in Unity, and they get pretty far. And then the remainder of the problems that they have to face, they kind of have to either learn programming or get more technical or get somebody to help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's I've seen I've seen that, and I can definitely say that that is a pattern. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so we're almost a uh, sure. we're, we're about an hour since we started. Okay. Uh, so, um, anything you, I, you I, want? I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> uh, so, Matsuya is online. Oh, if you have any questions. Well, yeah, look and see what you, if it, was there any um, that you saw online or something? Let's see, I've got to reconnect. I that. didn't see any. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, but but you've been, you've been pretty great already. <laughs> okay. Well, I really enjoyed this hour. Anybody that has any questions, um, also, if you're going to be uh, next year, you know, I met you at GDC, and if if they're going to be a GDC next year, or somebody that you know that listens to this later on, uh, um, you know, send me a note or something. I will probably be, yeah. I will probably be in Yokohama for the CEDEC, C E D E C, which is uh, I've been to the Tokyo Game Show, but that's like a zoo, and it's more like E3 and wild and get lost and everything. I, I think CEDEC is more like a how to make games. Like a small, like oh, a that's neat. like a GDC kind of conference. Um, I went last C E D E C. C yeah, C is in uh, uh, like say yeah, uh, C E D E C. Um, it, it'll cool. be in it'll be in late August. And last year, uh, the IGDA Japan has scholarships to that show, um, and they um, I met with the scholars uh, just like we have. You know, we had scholars at GDC from the IG, the IGDA Foundation raises money, you know, to send scholars to different shows. Well, in Japan, they have a, um, they send them to Tokyo Game Show and to CDEC. They get to pick one or the other if they want to go to a conference. And um, it's, it's competitive, you know, they, they apply and stuff. And uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and I think uh, the, the work that you're doing, you know, having more student chapters and, and having them be on a par with regular chapters now and everything is, is going to be really good too. So um, I think, uh, and, and so definitely be watching. I think the deadline for GDC was in December. We were talking about it the other day in our board yes. meeting. So, so definitely. Every before, fall we, is like GDC watch season for like watching for the deadlines <laughs> to come up and uh, if you're a, no, the, any applications are open. If you're a student and you meet the requirements, so we have the IGDA that we have the, the scholarships, the scholars. Okay, you have to be a student for that. Then we have the women ambassadors. Yeah. And then we also have the um, next gen leaders. And some of those are people that are already working in the industry, but are, right. are underrepresented or or that we want to help them become leaders in their field. And so that- Yeah, so, what, people what who the, show leadership promise. Some of those, as two, opposed to just normal, they're two-year programs. Yeah. Some of them are two-year programs where you come twice to GDC, and so you get you get some initial stuff, and then you get to go home and practice it for a year and come back the next year. So <laughs> it's like, a, and, and have people that you can help mentor you and stuff throughout the thing. So yeah, all this stuff is a, yeah. Get active. Uh, anybody that listens, get active in your local chapter. Uh, if you don't have a chapter, think of forming one. Uh, get some people together. Find a game company nearby that'll help you, you know, uh, and stuff. That, you know, we all benefit by having people. It's kind of a friendly industry where people. So that we used to get up and do post mortems where you tell somebody how you made this game. Um, yeah. and, then, and we have a tradition too of releasing like Doom and Quake, uh, Carmack uh, uh, and Romero used to release like their engine every every year, 
and that forced them to make a new engine. It's like Napoleon burning his bridge or something. <laughs> <laughs> so then we release this stuff to where people would release Unreal, you know, release Unreal. So there'd be the next version of it, you know, the, the pro version, but there was always releasing the older versions to the public and stuff. So you had, uh, we have this tradition and we get up at GDC and we give talks about how to do things that nobody's, you would, oh my God, how am I ever going to do that? And you go, somebody tells you how to, how to solve some problem you didn't know how to solve. It's like, a, and then you can go look online and look for their notes and their slides and everything. So there's, there's an awful lot to be said in our industry for helping each other. Um, That's one of my favorite parts of the industry. Yeah, not just the students, but, but definitely, definitely get involved. And, uh, and you know what, too? Sometimes you ask somebody for help and they say, ah, you know, they make fun of you because you didn't know how to, they didn't know how to do this. Huh? Well, there's a lot of things that I don't know how to do. <laughs> that's like, and, yeah. and, and that's why you ask people. And my rule is if you get stuck in a problem for more than 24 hours, you need to get help. But I don't mean 24 hours of work time. I don't mean three days. I mean 24, okay, 2 o'clock today, something's bothering you, 2 this afternoon. And if you're still stuck tomorrow at 2, and you've been, and you've been moving email around and doing other stuff to, to avoid doing that thing, it's time to ask for help from somebody. If you don't want to ask in your company, Go online, ask a friend, uh, you know, uh, whatever. There'll be something that yeah. can solve your problem somewhere. And, and, and you know, you, you get so used to, you get so used to like looking up stuff that other people have posted. A lot of people don't actually get around to actually posting their own question. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, we do the, yeah, we do these things and we're, yeah, there are so many, like he answered every questions on the internet almost, you know, but, uh, um, I had a problem that was driving me crazy, and I, it was a, a it was a ball rolling, and, it, and when it, it looked okay rolling along one edge, along the left edge of this box, it looked okay, and along the top edge, it looked okay, or the bottom edge. But when it rolled diagonally, it wobbled, and I couldn't figure out why. And so I went to one guy, and he said, "Gimbal lock." Well, it's not gimbal lock. And I went to somebody yeah. else. And everybody told me it was okay. something, but it wasn't that. And not so, gimbal lock. <laughs> yeah. So then I. Then I realized what I needed to do to solve the problem. I sat there and read a bunch of articles and everything else, and I realized, wait, uh, the, the, I never learned the luxury of the four by four matrix as well as other people are. But I mean, that's what we're that's what we're doing when we're transforming models. So I took I took the identity matrix, and I said, okay, I'm going to roll this ball this much on this axis and this much on this axis. And so I did that to the identity matrix, and then I took and multiplied that times the current ball. And that fixed it because instead of trying to do Ooh. one rotation and the other, I needed to do that to the identity matrix. And then, and then that's how much that ball rolled. You see. So it, Oh, I see. Yeah. And that, that fixed the thing, but I, we have guys with PhDs and everything else that in math and in, you know, in, in programming <laughs> and, and, ever, and they were telling me all these other things, but it wasn't any of those things. But then eventually you just stare at the problem enough and you try experiments and you, read about the stuff and you figure it out. But yeah, so eventually you, and then you feel really good when you solve it, you know, it's like, Hey, I know how to do this. And everybody else, okay, if I ever run into that problem, I'll let you know. <laughs> Make it get less. But, uh, anyway, but I've yeah, had a lot, I've had a lot of similar experiences with, with those rotation problems. Yeah, so that, have, in, in, no matter how much you understand it, there's still always an element of trial and error. Exactly. When you get upside down, then you do have kind of gimbal. When, when you fly and you go up, 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 and then backwards, upside down, you're going upside down, you know, uh, 
now left is right, right's left, you know, <laughs> now that was all messed up, you know, it's, it's like, a, I think we had problems we were thinking about, do, when you do a, when you hold a, when you're doing a, a simple racing game with an Xbox controller, and you're looking at the screen, and you're, let's say up is, you're doing up to go forwards, okay, on your controller, when you start going left, you've kind of turned your hands with the controller, so that now up is going left, you see. Um, mm-hmm. And then you and you kind of do that. Now, when you have an i when you have an iPhone or you have a uh, a Game Boy, you don't turn your device because now you turn the picture upside down. You know, uh, it's like having the screen and the controller be separate or be attached. You know, and so we there are different kinds of controls when you make that too. You know, and uh, and so that it's all kind of kind of things that there's things we're not doing in games. One of my one of my peeves is okay when they make all these racing games. Put an extra player in there for the camera, for the um, for the network camera, like the editor, the, the director. Somebody sitting in a booth decides what to show you. So, so four people are playing a racing game, and I'm sitting in the back of the room. Maybe up on the TV, I want to see the the view of the exciting parts. You know, where it where it gets the turns and then it jumps, it figures out where two people are close and somebody's about to pass somebody and shows that view. So you have AI picking which views to to show the rest of the people that are watching a game. And I think when we start doing that, that maybe the, maybe the, the e-players and all this other e-sports, maybe I'll catch on more, you know, because the, mm. the intelligent part of it will figure out what we want to watch as a group, you know? Uh, so you got, you guys, guys down in front with large screens playing a game in, in a movie theater and up on the, up on the movie screen, we're seeing the, like as if some professional was in a booth picking the right views for it, you know? Um, so that we're seeing that, that you and I got close to each other and I'm about to pass you. So they're going to put the camera on us. And then after we've, after I passed you, it's not that interesting anymore, but somebody else is about to pass somebody else in a different turn, you know? And so it, it's kind of like that kind of thing that we, we, uh, we, we need to do, but uh, I joined talking with you. Let me know if, if, yeah, if yeah. any of your people, if, if anybody feel free to get in touch, go to my website, you know, uh, um, and uh, reach me through here. That's fine. I'm, that's what I've got. Yeah, I posted a link to your website. I also posted a link to your book. <laughs> okay, appreciate. It. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I posted some no- other notes in the in the archive. I'll also include all these. Okay, and uh, and I'll likewise. I'll I'll find the website to link to you. Uh, are they able to link to it, or do they have to join to be able to see it? Um, uh, the all of most of our stuff is public. Uh, okay. Okay. And, well, and so people will be able to see it. Okay, yeah, so I'll, I'll put a URL on my, on my web. Okay, great. Well, thanks yeah, I'll for, let you know when the archive goes up. Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, have, have a great day. I, I, you know, this is, uh, um, it's kind of fun. We, we all work around the world in different time zones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was really fun. It was great talking to you. Uh, if, you ever, if, you know, if you know someone who you might want to recommend to do an AMA with us, uh, feel free to tell them about I'd, I'd be glad to. Yeah, yeah. Let me know what... Let me know the kinds of things that you're interested in later. Uh, send me an email. What kind of topic? Sure. And, and I, I know people. I can also introduce you to some of. Uh, I know a lot of. Um, I don't know Carmack, but I know Romero, for example. He's in Ireland. He may give you a different time zone than I did. <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking of reaching out to them. Like I follow them all on Twitter, and I'm like, I can just tweet at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but uh, nice but it'd be great to have an introduction, though. John's a nice guy, and one year he actually was in our uh, our developers with kids. The, one of the ones you came to, 
he, he actually came to that forum at GDC. <laughs> there. He was sitting there, I look over, oh, this is John. <laughs> so uh, it'd be good. Uh, I, I can I introduce you to a lot of people if you need to. Uh, yeah, and I know, I know uh, Brenda Romero used to volunteer with the GDA, right? Oh, yeah, she, used to, she was in charge. She was on the board and everything. Um, also, uh, like, Sid Meier, it's been years, but I can put you in touch with him in Baltimore. Um, if you, if you get, but you can probably reach him through, uh, through, through yeah. Paraxis or something too, pretty easily. Um, I, and, and anyone else, I really just appreciate, uh, more geographic diversity as well. Like, so anyone that you might've met, like maybe in Japan or anywhere else. Uh, and, and then yeah, the Japanese chapter might be good to hook up with. And, you know, they do a lot of machine translation on their website. If you look at their, at their website and their, and their Facebook page, they do a lot of, they have to, because, you know, yeah, Japanese is spoken in one country. Like you, you and I speak Spanish and spoken it in like maybe half the world. You know, <laughs> it's like and French is spoken in a few countries and Italian spoken in one and Portuguese is spoken in two. You know, and so you go. And Japanese is spoken in one country. You know, so they have a lot of machine translation of their stuff on their website. Um, you know, where they um, are doing it, and Google Translate isn't that bad. Um, and if you ever try to write something, in, just make sure to paste it back in a second time and see if it translates when it goes back. Yeah. <laughs> see what it, what it gives you back from what it suggested. You know? <laughs> see if that's what you meant. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. But anyway, good talking to you. And yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll be glad to, to hook you up with any of those people you need to. I'm, I'm sure we all like doing this kind of stuff. So I'm sure you'll be yeah. able to find it. Okay, well, good luck in your thanks in your a work. lot. Thanks for working with the IGDA. There. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Have a good day.